like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal, come hear the animals, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and this is a recorded version of Talking Animals, once again produced remotely at the corporate headquarters in Jupiter Farms, Florida. Today, we'll be presenting what, in the urban planning realm, they call a mixed-use development, by which I mean the first part of the show will feature an interview, which I'll describe in a moment. Other parts of the show will also be standard elements, including a comedy piece and our quiz feature, Name That Animal Tune. But I will also incorporate a few animal songs, a signature element of Talking Animals for a long time, but less frequently heard in recent years as I've tried to provide a second interview in each program. But today, we're foregoing the second interview so that I may play a few animal songs. Before that, I'll air an interview I recorded on Sunday, Mother's Day, not coincidentally, as you'll come to understand, with Patty Reagan, the founder of the Center for Great Apes, a sanctuary in Wachula, Florida, that houses chimpanzees and orangutans. Reagan created the sanctuary 27 years ago, and she's been a guest two times before on Talking Animals, but I invited her on this show for two main reasons, beyond the Center for Great Apes being, in my view, inherently interesting. First, I've been making a point in recent weeks to check in with various animal-oriented operations, shelters, clinics, businesses, and so on, to hear what kind of impact COVID-19 has had on them. So I was curious to hear how COVID-19 has affected the Center for Great Apes, especially because I had read a number of scientific pieces and journal articles noting that COVID-19 posed a considerable risk to great apes, both in the wild and in captive settings, like the Center. I had another major reason for wanting to talk to Reagan just now. But rather than uncork my own spoiler, let's just say for now that it's something highly unusual that happened at the sanctuary. Indeed, for the first time in 27 years, we'll hear about this development and plenty more about the sanctuary, which gained some measure of fame many years ago when it accepted Michael Jackson's chimp Bubbles, who still lives there, when I play back my interview with Patty Reagan momentarily. Later on, there'll be an animal comedy piece, Ellen DeGeneres, from long before the talk show days. Name That Animal Tune will give you a chance to win a fabulous Talking Animals t-shirt. And again, there'll be a few animal songs mixed in, new and old. Right now, though, recorded Sunday, Mother's Day, this is Patty Reagan, back on Talking Animals on WMNF. Thanks for joining us again on the show, Patty. Nice to be here again. So since we have had a couple of conversations on the show over the years, this interview today is really intended more as an update rather than an introduction. Still, guessing that not everyone listening at the moment is conversant with the Center for Great Apes, maybe you could give us the nickel tour. Where is it? What is it? And what is its mission? Well, the Center for Great Apes is a sanctuary that has, um, was founded 27 years ago to provide a long-term permanent care situation for orangutans and chimpanzees who came from the exotic pet trade or entertainment or research that would not have, would never be able to go back to the wild for a number of reasons and also not have the opportunity even to be cared for in accredited zoos because of their background being raised by humans and um, various, various other reasons. So I started this in Miami and looked for four years to find appropriate property and we found a beautiful location um, in kind of south central Florida, we're about 90 minutes south of Tampa in Wachula. 
and um, we have right now, we started with 15 acres, we have about 135 acres, and so over the years, um, we have offered and given homes to apes that have come out of shows in Hollywood, um, circuses, television shows, um, we've rescued several great apes that were in basement garages in New Jersey, and um, another garage in South Carolina where he lived for 35 years. And we have been able to introduce these apes to their own species for the first time, sometimes for their whole lives. Um, many of them that were pets, pets alone in people's homes. And great apes, you know, may be adorable as babies, but they grow to be very strong, very intelligent, and can be quite dangerous um, in a human situation. So we have, I think, 19 or 20 outdoor habitats here. And they're all attached to indoor night houses that are bedroom areas for them, strong enough in hurricanes and warm enough in cold weather. And all the habitats are attached with about, you know, it's between a mile and a half and two miles now, I haven't counted the last few years, of an elevated trailway, aerial trailway that runs through the woods and connects all the habitats. So they can actually rotate throughout the different spaces and still have a lot of different um, enrichment and meet different apes and so forth. So that's interesting, Patty, because um, if I follow you, and maybe I didn't, so can they, if they're in one habitat with that walkway you just described, can they freely, without any input from you or anyone else that's at the center, go to another habitat altogether? No, because, of course, with some orangutans and some are chimps, but right. you don't mix them. Right. But, but even but within the chimp groups, um, and with um, we have 11 adult male orangutans here right now, okay. and mostly most zoos can only manage one because um, they are very solitary in the wild from other adult males. They will fight their territorial. Yeah. So with our 11 males and 12 females now, um, they are mostly in pairs. Although we have one small group of four, but they don't go into each other's habitat. However, we can change if they're over on this side of the creek today and this week. They may be able to wander to the other side and have a new habitat next week while the others rotate through. Oh, okay. See, that's the part I didn't quite get is that if they were to switch, it would be all as whatever that, that the pair. Caregivers, that, yeah, the yeah. caregivers help manage that by opening doors and gates and so forth. Right. But with the chimps, we have several chimpanzees here um, that can be in several groups. And so they often can go between different groups and change. But mostly they're set in groups with dominant leaders and so forth. Yeah, that's the reason I asked the initial question is because it seems like from speaking with you and others over the years, it's it's pretty clear that not everybody uh, in the chimp world or any other world, just like the rest of us, gets along necessarily. So there has to be kind of some time to test out that. And then once those, those are established, you use other chimps or, or apes aren't necessarily introduced. Right. And yeah. I, I think the point is, too, these guys are in captivity, unfortunately. We'd yeah. love for them to all have been born in the wild and stayed there. Sure. But they're in captivity. You have to manage them safely, but providing lots of enrichment, lots of companionship. And the biggest thing to me is choice. They have choices. So they yeah. have lots of spaces, even if they're in their outdoor area, their indoor area. They have three or four shoots. They might have two outdoor areas that day that they can choose from. So, you know, that we try to provide as much autonomy as we can within captivity. Yeah, no, that's great. It's so valuable for animals of all kinds that are in captivity to have choices, you say, or just kind of the free will to go here or not go here or sit tight or, or explore this new trail or whatever it might be. So that's fantastic. Yeah. In recent weeks, Patty, I've been checking with various uh, animal-oriented operations, shelters, clinics, sanctuaries, so on, to gauge how they've been affected by COVID-19. So uh, what's it been like for you first, since you run the place and are there... 
uh, maybe you could first describe how it's been for you personally. Um, well, I'm, I'm worried. You know, I'm worried about my staff. Yeah. I want them to stay safe. I'm worried about the great apes because um, there has been no proven case yet that I know of um, where a great ape, a gorilla, a bonobo, a orangutan, or chimpanzee has been affected by COVID-19. However, they're susceptible. Their DNA is so similar to humans that they are susceptible to our colds, flus, mumps, measles, all kinds of things. So we are taking all precautions here to protect them, um, assuming that they might be. And so that means, um, well, as a sanctuary, we're not open to the public like a zoo is anyway. Mm -hmm. We do have events a couple times a year which raise funds. We do once a month open up to um, a a private tour, educational tour to school groups. Well, all of that stopped our volunteers. We have a huge number of volunteers that help us with um, peripheral activities like preparing enrichment, helping with diets, groundswork, things like that, office work. Volunteers have been gone for over a month, six weeks probably. And even our non-essential staff, um, office staff that help with fundraising, are doing it from their homes right now. So the essential people here are the caregivers and the veterinary staff that take care of the apes. So it sounds like it's really necessarily, but it's really profoundly all the, the operation. Well, it has, and funding too. I mean, the funding is doing being done online now, and um, we had a recent Give Day, which was all done online, and, and it was great. Uh, um, Giving Tuesday helped us a lot make up for some of the loss, but I'm really concerned about the coming months ahead because these are times when we do have to raise funds. We're doing everything here as far as um, all the CDC recommended protocols. Everybody's wearing personal protection equipment, not only masks and gloves, but we have face shields anytime that they're doing anything with the apes. Um, We've cut back on some of the activities. Like, we don't give out cardboard right now because um, cardboard is not, you know, can hold the virus. So things that they might have played with before cardboard boxes are on hold now. And even when we get things in from UPS, people have been sending us donations, which is wonderful. We have a quarantine room where they sit for three days before we even open them. Wow. Um, so all kinds of sterilizing in their areas, you know, managing them safely. And, and they're a little confused, like, where are all the people? Where are the, the volunteers that we see every week? And, sure. And um, things like that. So, so we're just doing everything we can, and as yeah. the world is, I hope, right. to protect them. Well, a couple things. First, let me just let folks know this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest is Patty Reagan, founder of the Center for Great Apes, a sanctuary in Wachula, Florida, that houses chimpanzees and orangutans. We're discussing how COVID-19 has impacted the sanctuary. A bit later, we'll chat about a uh, surprising development at the center. This interview was recorded Sunday. So I really was struck by quarantining, in a sense, even the cardboard boxes. And I had read, even before I knew I was going to speak with you and then read a few more when I did know I was going to, a number of science-based pieces noting that COVID-19 did pose a considerable risk to great apes. Now, Now, the focus of most of these articles was great apes in the wild and the importance of limiting human exposure, for example, uh, suspending the great ape tourism, et cetera. But, um, but there did seem to be uh, yeah, considerable concern about human interaction in sanctuaries and to the extent that it applies zoos. So I guess that's why you're going to such great lengths, like not even giving them cardboard, and even if donations come in by way of packages, that those sit for three days. So I guess it's just supreme caution even though it's not clear what the risk is for the apes. Well, that's right. I was on a, um, a 
conference with primatologists around the world and a lot of people that run sanctuaries in Africa and Borneo and Sumatra were on that call in a panel discussion. Um, and they are very concerned because, for instance, in Sumatra, there is a very rare species of orangutan that's recently discovered. There's only 800 known in the wild, the Tapanui orangutan. And if, if that got into that community, it could wipe them out. And the other problem that these um, orphanages and rehabilitation centers in Africa for gorillas and chimpanzees and bonobos and in Borneo and Sumatra for orangutans is that um, they depend on visitors and the tourists to come and see the apes, the gorillas in the wild. Yeah. And that helps these countries protect them. And if you recall, just a couple of weeks ago, a number of um, gorilla rangers were murdered by poachers because there is not the pressure of the um, tourist trade coming in to see them. And so not only are they at risk from tourists coming, tourists aren't coming now because they've stopped it to protect them, their financial impact on protecting them is huge. Oh, right. So sort of a secondary factor is that their the protection has, has necessarily been pulled back a little bit just because of the resources. Well, certainly for the ones that are poached in, in yeah, Africa, right. for sure. Wow. And, but even sanctuaries in Sumatra and, and in Borneo, and I've been in touch with several other directors just this week, yeah. the funds are... Um, are cut back because that's what they depended on was people coming in, you know, to safely see the apes in the wild. And it's hard. I mean, people are worried about buying food and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that Giving Tuesday sounds like it worked for you, but it sounds like also you are, again, limited in terms of the kind of events and, and activities that you would typically do for fundraising. So have you then kind of had to sort of innovate and just say, okay, well, no one's coming. We have to do everything kind of remotely or by Zoom or whatever it might be. So have you introduced some new fundraising measures kind of in the wake of everything being limited in that regard? Um, well, I just recently discovered Zoom myself. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I'm the, probably the least one with computer issues here. I have a lot of young staff that are helping me with that. But, um, yeah, and I mean, just even meeting with major donors over Zoom yeah. Um, has been one way to share with them what's going on here and yeah. how things have been going. And, um, you know, I think right now Facebook, Instagram, all these things are helping us. Sure. And I'm concerned, you know, we're, we're doing okay right now. I'm concerned about three months from now and the food supply and all that, as everybody is with their future and the economy. Yeah. So yeah. And we're in this together. We know it. But, um, you know, and my concerns are just, keeping these apes protected and, and, of course, our staff that work here. And it's up to them. I tell them every day, you know, you must follow these protocols in your personal life, too. Well, let's, uh, we'll mention again uh, towards the end of our talk here, but let's mention, too, that the website is centerforgreatapes.org. And as you kind of noted uh, there, there's all kinds of social media presence for the center as well. So people can find out more. They can see some apes and orangutans. And if they're inclined if they've ever had a chance to visit or heard about it over the years if they feel like they'd like to throw a few bucks in the orangutan kitty as it were this would be as good a time as any it sounds like so let's spend a few minutes talking about some uh, surprising news i alluded to a moment ago that you announced on friday i don't know if you want to say well sure i will talk to you about some of the sanctuary ethics first yeah, well, um, I was going to definitely with, get into that for sure. So, yeah, however you'd like yeah, to do it. Yeah, so as a sense of things that, I mean, our goal is strictly to provide care for apes that are in need. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 
um, those that cannot be returned to the wild or that cannot be held in a good accredited zoo. So there are ones that have been used in circuses, movies, private pets, um, roadside zoos that are being shut down. We took two chimps two years ago from the place um, in Oklahoma that was where the Tiger King was. Everything and, um, everything has a tentacle from the uh, from the Tiger King, it seems. Wow, that's incredible. That does. So yeah. those two old chimps that were there, we took them in. Um, so as a sanctuary, that's our goal. And so we're not about being there for families to come, as zoos are very often, to you know enjoy a community event, to see animals and get to know them better and so forth. We do outreach. We do some education, but it's more, more we go without animals, but we go and talk to schools and things like that. So because of that, it's very expensive to take care of these things. And sanctuaries, you know, don't buy and sell. Um, We only accept apes, you know, and and hopefully some of the people will help with their care, but not always. And um, we don't breed. And that's a sanctuary ethic. And one of the reasons, because we get the question all the time, well, why don't you breed? Why don't you have babies? Well, each ape here right now in today's costs are about 22000 a year just for their care costs. That's not our development or phones or insurance or anything. It's the caregiver staff, the food, the vet care, um, the heat in their, you know, the electricity for the heat in the winter and, and repairs on their enclosures and so forth. So when you have, if you have a baby and you figure that baby can live 50 years, that's a more than a million-dollar commitment. So to for a sanctuary to breed animals, whether it's a big cat sanctuary or a monkey sanctuary or primate, uh, you know, a great ape sanctuary or birds or anything, you're perpetuating your cost. And the other reason is that so many of our apes have been um, raised by humans in, in pet situations in Hollywood. They don't know how to be mothers because great apes aren't like dogs and cats where they instinctively know how to be a good mother. They stay with their mothers when the next baby's born for several years, and they learn from their own mothers how to raise a baby. So we don't breed. And for 27 years, we have successfully managed birth control, even though we have all mixed pairs and group um, through vasectomies or, or birth control pills and so forth. However, this spring it failed. For the first time in 27 years, we had a birth control failure. And um, this female is a 37-year-old orangutan, and she has been on birth control. She actually was in shows in Los Angeles in a huge tourist attraction out there, um, five live stage shows a day when she was little. And then she's kind of been moved around to breeding centers and so forth. She had three other babies, um, not here, of course, but before we, we brought her in and rescued her. And they were all taken from her and sold and are, um, you know, put in other places. And so she never had the opportunity to raise her baby. We were shocked. We didn't know she was pregnant. She was on birth control, and she was with a teenage um, juvenile, really adolescent, I would say. He's not that cheek pad yet, but he's only 15, male and another female in the group, and just one morning there was this little ball of orange fluff on climbing up to her chest. <laughs> so um, shock was a mild word, yeah. but, you know, of course, it's a joyous thing because it's a beautiful little orangutan female, and Sunshine, the mother, even though she was, she was raised by her own mother for a few years, and um, the interesting thing about her background is she was in, born in England, where the manager for Tom Jones, the singer, had a bunch of exotic animals. And he um, sent that mother and Sunshine, the infant, to San Diego Zoo, and then they sent it out 
to um, another private facility who started breeding. Mm. And so she has raised the baby, and the baby's not quite three months yet, but Sunshine's doing a very good job. So, yes, this is not what we planned. It's not in our sanctuary ethics, but, of course, we are going to give that baby all the same love and care for the rest of her life. Um, she won't be pulled from her mother. Her mother's doing a very good job. And, you know, that's our situation now. Yeah. Sort of, um, here we are trying to tighten our belt. <laughs> we have a mouth to feed, but for yeah. the first couple of years, her mother will be feeding her. So this is, uh, I guess, uh, in a sense, maybe an orangutan immaculate conception of some kind. But um. Well, there was <laughs> a little male in there. And, yeah. Um, he no. has a to me. But, you know, no, I'm giving credit to Archie where, where credit is due, for sure. But... Uh, <laughs> But that's the thing. I mean, it's just one of those instances uh, hardly unheard of in any world where birth control just fails to work. And uh, Well, and it fails in zoos. It fails in, I mean, some of our colleagues have four or five chip babies um, yeah. from failed vasectomies. Right, but and I just mean in, in, in any world that just sometimes that happens and people are uh, puzzled or less puzzled or whatever. But So the fact that it hasn't happened before in your 27-year history is almost more remarkable than that it did happen just uh, a few months ago. Well, we're, um, you know, we're just taking it each day at a time. And of course, this baby is very loved and we'll be showing a lot of pictures of the baby on Facebook because sure. she is adorable. And it's, it's, we are getting so much um, response on this about how this is a light right now in this very dark time. And just her funny, cute little face is making people smile. Sure. And I think you know, maybe it's a reason. Maybe there's a reason that for my staff, it's sort of a, a breath of fresh air here. Yeah. We, we took one chimp from um, who was 45 years old who had been in a circus. He was wild caught in Africa. He'd been in a circus for 10 years, and then the people retired, and they kept him, the one I mentioned in South Carolina, kept him in their garage for the next 35 years, and they died. And um, somebody called me and said, we've got to find this chimp a home. Well, 45 is elderly. Yeah. And I said, we'll take him. And he came in. He's very tiny. His name is Marco. And um, I thought, well, you know, he might be with us a few years, but he's already elderly. He's 60 years old now, and he's still here. He loves <laughs> it there. He, he's flourishing yeah, Marco, at the center, right? Marco is, yeah. And so, you know, he knows some another elderly male who was also wild-caught, Ringling Brothers Circus chimp. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of elders here and some that have had health problems before they came to us and um, continued. But this is this is quite um, a lovely thing to happen with the sanctuary. Even though it wasn't our ethic or our plans, we certainly are, you know, we have to be happy for sunshine especially. Right. It's a real anomaly, as you pointed out. And again, people may or may not know that Center for Great Apes is accredited and top tier and highly revered. And so, yeah, one of the criteria to get to that kind of stature is no breeding of any kind. And there hasn't been. This just sounds like uh, all of a sudden there was uh, an unplanned birth, and there you go. So it sounds like you guys are just kind of rolling with it and sort of welcoming it in the most enthusiastic way that you can. Yes, and it's nice to have the attention. I mean, you know, we have, you and I have talked a few years ago about some of our other residents here, and our most famous one has been Bubbles, Michael Jackson's chimp. Sure. And so we've had a lot of attention on that, and he's, He's a wonderful chimp. He's 37 now. Um, he lives in a 10,000-square-foot open habitat or, or grassy habitat um, and with his group. And, 
you know, he's doing great. He's another chimp here to us. He's equal to us with, with everybody else. And then just last fall, we took in another very famous great ape, which has brought a lot of media attention, um, and that is Sandra, the orangutan that got non-human personhood from Argentina. Oh. And that was a big deal. Um, and she came in November, and we just had, we were overwhelmed, frankly, with press, so we kind of cut it. Yeah. So that we could just give her peace, and she is now in the same habitat with them for the first time in many years with another orangutan named Jethro. Um, they're social distancing still. She's um, getting used to him, so not afraid of him, but she just keeps her distance, and he's very calm and a very sweet male. So that has been our focus um, with talking. So now suddenly we have a little this new little baby whose name is Kahaya, and that's C-A-H-A-Y-A, mm-hmm. and our staff chose it because Sunshine's offspring, we thought, should reflect Sunshine's name, and so Kahaya means um, radiant or light or shine in Indonesian, and so that's, that's her name. Wow, that's cool, and I mentioned it in passing, I guess we should acknowledge that the, uh, the father here is Archie, and uh, it sounds like from something I read that he seems like he's very happy about the baby and that, that Sunshine's being careful about who holds or takes the baby, but uh, everybody's getting along fine and uh, learning how to uh, be uh, new parents again, I guess. Well, yeah, she, Sunshine's very protective. And again, she's, been old, she's a very big female, she's, um, which is one of the reasons that she didn't show any pregnancy because she's a pretty good size. Um, Archie's much smaller than her. And his older sister, Keegan, is in that group, and she's 17. And um, she's a a slight little girl, too. Well, Sunshine lets Archie touch the baby, and um, he has actually tried with his lips to feed her a peanut, which Sunshine kind of said, no, you can't do that. Mm. So she's really taking good care care of the baby. But Aunt Aunt Keegan can... Um, pet the baby. She told her a couple times, but very briefly, the sunshine takes her back. Wow. It sounds uh, really interesting and interesting to watch. Is there any, uh, Patty, that makes me think all of a sudden here, as, uh, is there any way to see uh, Kahaya or, or Sunshine or Archie? Is there any kind of like video feed or just the photographs that you guys have? Uh... Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have the video feed, but we okay. do. We are trying to get more photographs. We've been collecting photographs for a couple of months, Yeah, and we just felt like the time to announce it. Yeah. But when this all happened, we were still in the throes of dealing with, oh my gosh, should we cancel the event or not? Should we cancel volunteers or not? Yeah. And how do we protect the apes? And it just we just weren't ready to go and talk about this yet. Sure. And we also wanted to make sure that the baby was healthy right. and that Sunshine was truly taking care of her. And um, so all that just led up to this week, which seemed to be a good time. Yeah, well, the fact, uh, not coincidentally, I guess, that you and I are speaking on Mother's Day, it makes it uh, almost uh, too perfect. <laughs> and uh, But I was really glad on that note, though, because you mentioned that Sunshine did have some babies before, but they were almost immediately plucked from her. So it's just great that among the many virtues of this totally unexpected and unplanned um, development that she's now actually finally getting to raise a baby without it uh, having snatched from her. Well, Sunshine is having a very nice Mother's Day today. Yeah, 
and and beyond. So, uh, okay, Patty. Well, that's just very great. We've been speaking with Patty Reagan again, founder of the Center for Great Apes. One more time, the website is centerforgreatapes.org. And again, they're on Facebook and Instagram and elsewhere on social media. So you can see pictures of the baby and other uh, orangutan chimps and uh, find out more. And again, if you're inclined, you can also support their efforts. Well, sort of like many organizations are trying to limp along through the restrictions imposed by COVID-19. So, Patty, thanks again for all your great work for all our uh, orangutan and chimp friends. And thanks for joining us again on Talking Animals. Great. I enjoyed it, Duncan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. In a moment or two, we'll play an entomology-minded comedy piece by Ellen DeGeneres. And later, we'll play Name That Animal Tune. As the prize today, we're offering a Talking Animals t-shirt. Right now, it's time for an animal song, as promised. This one tied directly to my conversation with Patty Reagan. It's the Kinks on Talking Animals on WMNF. Sophisticated Cause I'm living my life Like a good homo sapien But all around me Everybody's multiplying And they're walking around like flies, man So I'm no better Than the animals sitting In the cages in the zoo, man Cause compared to the flowers And the birds and the trees I am an ape, man I think I'm so educated and I'm so civilized Cause I'm a straight vegetarian With the overpopulation And inflation and starvation And the crazy politicians I don't feel safe in this world no more I don't wanna die in a nuclear war I wanna sail away to a distant shore And live like an ape man I'm an ape man I'm an ape ape man No, I'm an ape man
with a song called Birds Tricked Into Trees from his just-released album, What's New Tomboy? want to mention I was tipped off to that song by the fabulous Nancy C., host of the Tuesday edition of It's the Music. Also in there was Ray Wiley Hubbard with Snake Farm, a longtime talking animal's fave, thanks in part to the double entendre, or is it single entendre in that case? Started out with a classic from the Kinks, Ape Man, on the heels, fittingly enough, of my interview with Hattie Reagan, founder of the Center for Great Apes. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner. You don't hear many entomology-minded comedy pieces, but Ellen DeGeneres has one, and it's a winner. It's called Nature and Insects from Ellen DeGeneres in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm fascinated by animals, all of nature, really. All of nature fascinates me. You ever watch ants? You have that kind of time like me? (laughs) It's for a while there. You know... It's interesting because if you watch them, they're always in that one long single file line, if you notice that. They're always in that one single file line. They don't have to be. There are no lanes painted for them that they're forced to stay in. They can go anywhere on the ground that they want to go, but they stay in that line. I think, don't you think there's got to be that one ant, that one asshole ant in the back, just filled with road rage back there, just come on! You ever notice sometimes an ant will pick up a dead ant and walk around with that dead ant carrying that around? That's to get into the carpool lane to pass up that line. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. And we kill them like crazy. Just any kind of way we can kill ants, we'll kill them. Orange soda, any kind of liquid will do. Anything, just kill them. Because the smaller something is, the easier it is for us to kill them. Because we don't see their little expressions right before we're killing them going... It's true, we'll just kill anything. Fly gets into your house, kill it right away, kill the fly. What is the, what, what's wrong with us? What's the matter with us? We named them, they are called house flies. That is their name. <laughs> they know where to be. 
You don't see a horse fly trying to get in. They're on a horse someplace. They stay on horses. <laughs> Flies are amazing. They're inside. They're flying all over the place until they find a mirror. Have you noticed that? They find a bathroom mirror and they're there for about an hour. They don't move. I think it's because they think they found another fly. And they're having a conversation with that fly. Thank God, I thought I was alone. <laughs> you look very familiar. I'm very attracted to you. You're a good listener. Okay, here's the deal. I think there's an open window. You go tell the other flies we found the house. I'll wait here. Go, I'm gonna wait here. All right, I'll go. Hey, you wait here. Don't come with me. Are you mocking me? Stay very, very still. Here comes that human. Oh, finally, she's going to read that Greenpeace newsletter. Why is she rolling it up? to kill things. I really don't. I will try not to kill something. If I can avoid it, I will get it out of the house. People like to kill things. A spider gets in, whatever. Kill. I will take a piece of cardboard and I will try my best to get it out the door if I can. I will anything that's in the house. I, not anything. Let me qualify that. That's like if it's a burglar or something, I'm not going to take a piece of cardboard. You're, out, 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 sir. Sir, out. But a spider gets in the house, people want to kill the spider right away. Spider doesn't know you don't want it in there. It's not like you've posted signs all over the place, keep out spider, which to me would be very arrogant, assuming they only speak English. But our ego tells us we're the only ones that have any kind of feelings. We're the only ones with a relationship. We're the only ones with family. And, you know, I think that if you kill a spider, there is a relationship that you're ruining. There, there's a conversation going on outside with the other spiders. Did you hear about Chris? <laughs> Killed, yeah. Sneaker. And now Stephanie has 900 babies to raise all alone. Well, she's got her legs full, I'll tell you that right now. Chris was so kind, wouldn't hurt a fly. It's just been tough for them lately. They just lost their web last week. Those humans think they're so smart. Let them try shooting silk out of their butt and see what they could make. I mean, if you look at a spider web, that is magnificent to me. Look at a spider web and see what they can do. Look at a bird's nest and see what that is. That's just, at least nature uses every single thing they've got. We don't. We are capable of so much more and we just don't use it. You know that Nelson Mandela quote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. Blah, 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 whatever he says. <laughs>
I'm Duncan Strauss, and you're listening to Talking Animals on WMNF. Coming up at 11 on WMNF, it's Rob Lorai with Radioactivity. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, as a prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering a Talking Animals t-shirt. Again, these days, we do Name That Animal Tune differently. Rather than call if you know the tune, please email me at duncan at wmnf.org with your guess of the song title. Again, a Talking Animals t-shirt to the first person who emails Duncan at WMNF and correctly identifies this animal song. It's named that animal tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. He rocks in the treetop all day long, hopping and a bopping and a singing his song. All the little birds on Jaybird Street love to hear the robin go tweet tweet. Rockin' Robin, cause we're really gonna rock up tonight. Every little swallow, every chickadee, every little bird in the tall oak tree, the wise old loud, the big black crow, flap of their wings, sing and go, bird, go, rockin' Robin. Rockin' Robin. Go, rockin' Robin, cause we're really gonna rock up tonight. When it comes to animal songs, we have a soft spot for animal songs by animal bands. And a particular favorite in that category is the eels. Here's an animal song of sorts by eels called Dog Faced Boy, an alternate version from what appeared on their Soul Jacker album for those scoring at home. A Hepcat version, you might say, of Dog Faced Boy from the Eels on Talking Animals on WMNF. the last time I cry You don't know what it is to be a friend now Till I walk beside you on the street now Mom won't shave me Jesus can't save me Dog face boy Jesus can't save me Dog face 
boy Mom won't shave me, Jesus can't save me, dog face boy
That's brand new music from Sonny Landreth with a song called Mules, suggested to me by my old buddy James. We go back decades in the radio racket, so I knew I could count on him for a cool idea. And also there was music from the Eels with an alternate take of Dog-Faced Boy. And today, with our renewed emphasis on animal songs, even our closing instrumental is an animal tune. It's Cucumber with a peppy piece that describes me after too many weeks of lockdown and too few locks on the fridge. The song's called It's Hippo Time. And this great number was suggested by Jeff Stewart, who just performed his weekly magic as host of the Wednesday Morning Show. We've just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I invite you to return next Wednesday at 10 a.m. for another edition of the show when our guest will be Gary Busey. You heard me, host of the new show, Gary Busey, Pet Judge. Also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. iTunes podcasts are available there, too. There are also links to our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter feed, and more. Please like us on Facebook, the show, and or me personally, and follow me on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Stay tuned for Rob Lorai. This is Talking Animals on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wiki Wachi, and beyond.